One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. It's my screen time too. And welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen, find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Deborah, And I'm Katie. And I have three kids. Tony is 11 and Libby and Nate are eight. And I have two kids. Jay is five and Kenny is two. They are pretty stinking adorable. And every week we like to tell a quick story about how awesome or occasionally awful they are just to get our mom stuff out of the way before getting to our main review. So Deborah, what adorable stuff have your kids been up to this week? I have started making my kids take their clothes out of the laundry hamper and turn them all right side out before I do a load of laundry. Uh So I made them do that. We have this really tall hamper and they were taking care of their clothes because they don't do it when they put their clothes in the hamper. Uh Uh-huh. And then they tipped it over and Nate crawled in so he could get like the stray socks at the bottom. And it's pretty big and long. So he said, I'm going in. If I don't come back, tell mother I love her. (laughs) And he crawled to the bottom of the hamper. (laughs) That is adorable. Your little explorer. It was really cute. And I don't know where he got came up with it I'm sure it's from like a book or Uh a movie or something it was very funny (laughs) um my father may never listen to this episode but he is cheering from afar for that strategy because he has expounded to me and all of my sisters at some point on the virtues of turning the clothes right side out before you wash them because then you don't have to turn them right side out while you're folding them Yeah, it just makes sense. And why not just do it when you take your clothes off? He feels very passionately about it. I feel like you guys could get into a good discussion. (laughs) (laughs) So how about Jay and Kenny? So I don't know if I mentioned this last time we recorded because time has no meaning anymore, but Kevin has been out of town. So it's just been me and the boys and our sleeping situations have been bonkers pretty Mm. much Kenny has been sleeping with me every night and last night for the first time ever both boys slept in bed with me so it wasn't like a great getting sleep situation but this morning when my alarm went off I like turned it off super quick to try and get like up and out of the bed without waking them up and I turned around And I looked at their little bods and they were snuggled together in the bed. And oh my gosh, my heart. It made the like three hours of sleep okay. That's good. That sounds sweet. Do we have any follow-up from our last episode, our Mighty Ducks episode? Have you watched more Mighty Ducks? I wish. I want to. I just am so tired at the end of the day. I love my family, but at the same time, I get really 
jealous when I hear about like how many shows people have watched during the pandemic. I feel like I've squandered my pandemic time, like making lunch for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) And in this case, I've also squandered my prime husband free viewing time because you know there's a whole category of shows that you generally can't watch with your spouse yeah absolutely well someday we'll get to watch the entire season of mighty ducks game changers (laughs) (laughs) someday we will know if lauren graham and emilio estevez ever get together Oh, I can't wait. Um, I have one other follow-up. So I know on our Facebook page, you had posted looking for recommendations of things to watch on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. And then I discovered that a major childhood favorite of mine, Follow That Bird, which is a Sesame Street movie about Big Bird, was on HBO Max. And I got super excited. And then I shared it with my two sisters that are closest to me in age. One is slightly younger and the other is slightly older. And they were both like, what? So I they thought, never watched. Yeah, I had thought it was like this big, important movie and it must have been big, important, big and important to everyone. But in fact, like it only lives in my memory. So I just had to ask, like, does it mean anything to you if I say follow that bird is available on HBO Max? I don't remember watching it. No, sorry. (laughs) That's okay. I won't take it personally. (laughs) To the extent that Old Sesame Street holds up, which I think it really does, Mm -hmm. I thought it was great, and my kids really enjoyed it. Oh, good. I guess your kids are a little old at this point, but... And never really got into Sesame Street, which is one of my failures as a parent, I suppose. It's such a different animal now than it was, and I know that like shows have to evolve and change, but there's just such, to me, a stark difference between pre-Elmo Sesame Street and post-Elmo Sesame Street. I feel like the focus is so much on preschool children now. It's just very different. It's very different Mm -hmm. to sit down and watch. The old series is a lot about, you know, younger elementary school kids. Big Bird is supposed to be seven years old. Yeah. I don't know. Weird Sesame Street tangent. All right. Let's get to the meat and potatoes. So for today's Screen Time in the News segment, we were lucky enough to sit down with our old friend Shella. And I don't know why I'm restating this because I already recorded it. So we'll just splice that in right here. As a prelude to this week's review of Kid Cosmic on Netflix, we are joined once again by Shella Fazy, graphic designer, illustrator, photographer, and host of the I'm a Muslim and That's Okay podcast. Shella joined us for our soul episode, and as someone who's watched a lot of content created by Craig McCracken, who's the creator of Kid Cosmic, we couldn't think of a more perfect guest to catch us up on what we need to know going into our review. Welcome back, Shella. Thank you so much for having me, Katie. And yes, that's a really nice way of saying that I'm a big animation nerd, but it is true. (laughs) Well, you know, we are dipping our toes into the work of an incredibly popular creator for this week's episode. And as our favorite animation nerd, we wondered if you could give us a short summary of what makes Craig McCracken's work so special. Well, um, as somebody who grew up in the 90s, um, 80s and 90s, he is one of the animation legends. Along with people like uh, Jenny Tartakovsky, uh, Rob Vanzetti, these, all of these, um, Craig McCracken has been in the animation scene very predominantly 
throughout the 90s. If you are familiar with Dexter's Lab, Two Stupid Dogs, Dumb and Dumber, the animation series, all of these, in uh, obviously he created the Powerpuff Girls, but even in Dexter's Lab, he played a major role in uh, either directing, storyboarding, executive pro producers, he was always there. And uh, I mention um, Powerpuff Girls because that was his breakthrough animation that really, uh, you know, catapulted him into the spotlight. The uh, interesting thing about Powerpuff Girls was um, it's not that the female superhero category is, is was anything new at that time. I mean, you had a series like uh, Gem and the Holograms, and I'm literally dating myself like pretty far back. Um, <laughs> no, I love Gem and the Holograms. Mm -hmm. Same, same. <laughs> and uh, She-Ra, all of these were adventure stories that featured female protagonists, but there was always something that was collectively uh, universal about about series that were female leads. Um, you could put in uh, the Strawberry Shortcake. You could put in um, My Little Ponies, like another really popular one. They were always oh heavy pink, heavy glitter, heavy ooh soft and squishy. And most of the adventures, um, with the exception of Shira, unfortunately, I had not watched a lot of Shira growing up. Uh, their adventures were very social adventures. It was a very predominantly heavy theme for TV that was geared toward girls that, oh, what happens in a social situation that, you know, oh, you did this to your best friend, best friend did this to you. There's a mean person in your neighborhood. What do you do about that? That sort of thing. And um, again, I'm not downplaying the importance of these sort of lessons in kids' TVs. It's definitely, there's a place for them there. But it was not an adventure adventure. With the Powerpuff Girls, it was three female leads, Blossom, Buttercup, and Bubbles. And these three, um, if for anybody who hasn't seen the Powerpuff Girls, I'll just do a brief recap. So the Powerpuff Girls were created by Professor Utonium by adding together sugar, spice, and everything nice, and he accidentally dropped in Chemical X. Now, nobody's ever told what Chemical X is, but it gives the Powerpuff Girls uh, superpowers. And they then go on to, you know, save the city of Townsville in a very Batman-esque like, like manner that the mayor of Townsville has a direct telephone connection to the Powerpuff Girls. And he's like, Powerpuff Girls, there's an emergency. Like they didn't have a bat signal. They just, he just called them up and they, you know, they'd rush to the rescue, that sort of thing. They had real hardcore adventures in the two 10 minute time slots that was, that added up to half an hour. So they had like a huge array of evil, evil villains that were out to get the city of Townsville and the Powerpuff Girls would stop them. Now, again, it's not a very, a new theme to any of this, but the thing about Craig McCracken is, is that he did it well. He had these three protagonists, little girls, and you wouldn't expect them to really fight with all they got. And saving the, uh, saving the town, at the end of saving the town, saving the world, at the end of the day, by their, with their superpowers, and it was not soft and fluffy. Mm -hmm. And that's where the real appeal came for the Powerpuff Girls. I remember at that time, it was not just little girls watching uh, the Powerpuff Girls. Little boys were like, oh, we like this. Oh, it's got some really interesting action in it. The villains are, the villains are legit. Like, if I had to place one thing about Craig McCracken is that he created some very interesting characters, no matter what series you did. And for the Powerpuff Girls, it was always the villains. And they were interesting in their own right. And he always 
crafted it in a way that made it all seem valid and yet humorous and it appealed to kids at the, it, even adults at that time mm-hmm. so that's you know that was the big appeal of the powerpuff girls at that time they had never been done that three female leads in a series that was not soft fluffy pink glittery and you know all the things that didn't have a broader appeal to it and it exploded it really did right so almost instead of having to reinvent the superhero genre to allow these little girls to participate in it it's almost like he was just letting them participate in the superhero genre as it existed like you don't need to change it because the protagonists are girls that's really interesting yes And that's why it was ridiculously popular. I think from 1998 to 2008, I believe, it it almost spanned 10 seasons of the Powerpuff Girls. It's a really long time for one series to go in. And, you know, especially at that time, there were not a lot of series that made it that far. And I can only, uh, like, really think of, again, works by Jenny D. Tartakovsky with Dexter's Lab that really spanned that time frame. You had other cartoons come in, but they never had that kind of longevity. And then after the Powerpuff Girls, uh, Craig McCracken did go on to create series like uh, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends and uh, Chowder. Again, both these series had the same thing in common. He had a knack for creating very, very interesting characters even if the world wasn't real, but it was done so well with a lot of humor in it and the characters are very endearing. So he has always had that uh, talent to him. So just set up my expectations appropriately because, you know, I am always looking for the pro-feminist angle and I have read so many think pieces about the Powerpuff Girls and how much they've meant to feminists and teaching women that they can be superheroes too. Do you feel like strong female characters are a part of McCracken's brand? Is that something we should expect from the new series or is it just good characterization in general? I have not seen it, so I think for the most part, from the series familiar with, Powerpuff Girls is the only that had his the really strong female lead. Mm-hmm. And it, they're, they're very important. I'm not going to deny that. But in the others, I've not seen strong female leads. And even with Kid Cosmic, the lead is not a young woman. Right. It is a young boy. But, and here's what I'm going to uh, throw in a, like a curveball. Um, for any of you who may not be aware, Craig McCracken is married to Lauren Faust. Are any of you familiar with who she is? No. She is the creator of the, the recent My Little Ponies. And if oh. you know... The recent, she is known as the queen of animation because of how ridiculously popular the new My Little Ponies were. Mm-hmm. Um, again, amongst little girls and young men, young boys as well, because same theme that they were all majority female leads, but they had real adventures. Adventures it was not like soft, fluffy. Yeah, there's a lot of pink and purple involved, <laughs> but it was not soft, fluffy adventures. So they are married to each other, and she is the one who sort of pushed this project with him. I was reading up, you know, how Kid Cosmic, he had come up with the idea back in 2015, but again, there was very little interest for it. And then suddenly Netflix picked this up, and she encouraged him to, you know, uh, go ahead with the idea. So I'm sure she's involved in the process. So I'm hoping that uh, there are, I would say, some good, at least female characters that are developed within it. Something that even with a, a male lead, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with a male lead, but I really don't need characters, uh, female characters, 
characters that like are soft and fluffy anymore basically right well I am fascinated to learn that about his personal life I had no idea we reviewed My Little Pony Friendship is Magic it feels like ages ago but we really enjoyed it so as McCracken newbies for the most part is there anything that if you could sit us down and make us watch one episode of a McCracken show what would it be and feel free to describe it in general terms because I don't expect you to have like a season and episode number in your back pocket or anything like that but if there's one thing we should seek out to be like this is Er McCracken here (laughs) here's the thing here's my sort of reservation with that um is because everybody evolves as their work evolves i uh, have always had a affinity for his work but when you look back at it there are certain things that even though they were spectacular at that time they are uh, more than a little problematic right now and especially in the powerpuff girls uh when it came to villains he had spectacular villains and I think my favorite villain in that was him. And the, the problem with him is, him is very obviously an LGBTQ character, but he was a phenomenal villain. And again, it's the same stereotype of, you know, really putting people of the LGBTQ in a position where they're seen as the bad guy, that sort of thing. But if you had to just see it as a reference point of how his characters are and how complex they are and how wonderful they're characterized, if you had to go back and watch some of the original episodes with him in it, those would be it. Like if you could seek out one uh, episode with him in it as a character, because he was a a very dark supervillain. He had shape-shifting, mind control, all the really juicy stuff that came with being a supervillain. He was absolutely fantastic. But that's the only thing that I find very problematic about him, that he was obviously from uh, the LGBTQ community. And that's the only thing that I would not want anybody to like really reference him as his greatest character. Right. But I do have a certain fondness for him. All right. Kind of an interesting side note. Did you know that they are giving the Powerpuff Girls their own gritty live action teenage centric reboot? I I saw that when I was searching the internet and I was like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. Written by Diablo Cody, no less. Like... (laughs) Please don't, for the love of all things good, don't do that. <laughs> and um, and it's it comes al- along the same like trend that they did with the Winx Club as well. And oh, I don't right. know if anybody is familiar with, with the Winx Club. And they did a whole Winx Club, say, live action series. And it was not received very well because it did not translate to the screen very well. And that sort of does happen when you take animation onto the live action. It's very difficult to really convincingly bring it to the live screen when characters are so beloved, especially the Powerpuff Girls. An entire generation grew up watching them and literally idolizing them. Well, thank you so much for taking us through the Craig McCracken verse in advance of our episode this week. We really appreciate it, Shella. Could you just remind us where our audience can find you and your work out there in the world? Oh, thank you so much. And thank you guys for having me. As for my personal freelance work, you can find me at uh, creativecookiejar.com. And for my podcast, you can just search up on any major platform. I'm a Muslim and that's okay. And I'll pop up even on Facebook. I'm the only one there. No, we're there too. I know. It's it's hard out there. <laughs> <laughs>
And man, I am so glad we did that because I was a little worried going into this because Craig McCracken is such a big animator and I didn't have any background in his stuff. And I was a little worried about not sounding informed in our review. So I feel better. Yeah, I just learned a lot. (laughs) So Kid Cosmic on Netflix, the first 10 episode season dropped pretty recently on February 2nd, 2021. And there are 10 episodes that are around 25 minutes each, and it's serialized, created again by Craig McCracken, creator of Powerpuff Girls, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, and art director of Dexter's Laboratory. And the gist of it is when the superhero-obsessed kid, that's his name, finds five rings of power from a crashed alien spaceship, he realizes fighting evildoers with a team of superpowered friends isn't as easy as he imagined. Why did we pick it? I picked it and I think I came across it in New York Times arts and leisure section, which is where most of my picks come from. <laughs> Do you remember if the New York Times had positive things to say? I don't. I take notes out of context and I don't cite my sources. <laughs> So we watched, um, because it's serialized, we watched the first three episodes, episode one, Kid Cosmic and the Rings of Power, episode two, Kid Cosmic y la Nina Gigantica, episode three, Cosmic and the Precognitive Cat. So we'll go through the episodes one by one, and then we'll move on to our more general thoughts. Would you please summarize episode one? So Kid Cosmic, Kid, we'll just call him Kid. He discovers five stones from a crashed spaceship and he glues them onto hex nuts and turns them into what he calls the rings of power. And he wears one and is trying to figure out how it works when the other is kind of stolen by a teenage waitress who is really dissatisfied with their life in a small town so she gets a ring of power too and is trying to figure out how to use it so kid cosmic discovers that his ring of power allows him to fly and joe the waitress discovers that her ring of power allows her to create portals and the two of them meet their first alien who is trying to steal the rings of power And have to figure out how to defeat him, whether to defeat him, what their mission is to keep the rings, to keep the world safe. It's pretty unclear at this point. They're still working some things out, but that's where we are at the end of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think? I liked it. I thought it was like a fun premise. I think the characters are entertaining. I liked the artistic sensibility of the animation a lot how about you yeah it's very influenced by comic books because kid cosmic is comic book obsessed so you get a little of that from an artwork perspective honestly when the pilot started I was not sure that it wasn't a period piece Uh, the way things were colored and kid lives in a junkyard so 
it was kind of a moment out of time initially when you saw him pretending to be a superhero and fighting all the junk in the junkyard. And it wasn't until that first scene when we get to the diner and meet Joe and we see her on our smartphone that I was able to orient in time and think, oh, no, this is actually a modern story. Yeah, the animation, especially the backgrounds were really like old timey. It made me think of... um, Roadrunner and Wiley E. Coyote. Okay, so the interesting thing that I'm surprised we didn't get into with Shella is that Craig McCracken came up in uh, the Hanna-Barbera animation school, which Hanna-Barbera did not do Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner. That was Chuck Jones. But they did do a lot of those like early classics, like Yogi Bear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like you can see a lot of that stylistically in the simple forms of the characters as opposed to the backdrops. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Let me summarize episode two. So in these first three episodes, their kid is assembling his crew and their four-year-old friend, this is like a really small town, um, she gets a hold of one of the rings and it makes her into a giant. And so kid has to figure out how to corral this giant four-year-old who just wants somebody to play with. And then the alien gets a hold of a ring that makes him multiply. And kid and his motley crew of superpowered people. Um get the ring away from him and then grandpa g gets that ring and multiplies himself we'll get into this more but i was prepared to not like this show because i think i am suffering from a bit of superhero fatigue uh but man the minute you give me a gigantic irrational toddler i just i mean that just hit me in the sweet spot i could feel it i knew that spoke from a place of truth that was very funny. There, yeah, and then when she smashes all the alien clones, uh-huh. that was great. <laughs> it was so appealingly violent in the way that like toddlers and young kids love violence because there's no consequences. They just like blip away. But like she gets to tear them in half and stomp on them and swing them around. Yes, it was. But then, um, oh, what's the waitress? Joe. Girl's name. Joe. So Joe gets a call from her parent, from the four-year-old's parents. And they're like, yeah, just keep her all day. <laughs> Big deal. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you mentioned how small a town they live in. Because, you know, part of the superhero trajectory, you would think would be like this motley crew of characters coming together and forming a sort of family based on their superheroic adventures. But in a sense, they already have laid a little of that family groundwork just because it clearly is such a small town. I mean, you said it, like Kid and this teenager are friends with a four-year-old. And everybody knows everybody. Yeah, it's already (laughs) a closed loop. So... um, you feel that foundation in a way that you might not under other circumstances. Mm -hmm. So if the giant irrational toddler was not enough to hook me, 
you know that an episode titled Kid Cosmic and the Precognitive Cat <laughs> would definitely get me. So Kid has established the f- four of the five members of his team, right? You have Kid Cosmic with one ring. You have Joe with another ring. Uh, you have our adorable toddler with a third ring. And then you have Papa G with a fourth ring. So there's only one ring left, which Kid Cosmic kind of accidentally gives to this fat neighborhood cat named Tuna Sandwich. (laughs) And it gives Tuna Sandwich the ability to see the future. So Kid and the team are lured out to another crash spaceship by the original evil alien that they had captured, who they've come to call Chuck. So they're searching for the spaceship, and Tuna Sandwich has a vision that the spaceship is going to explode and everyone's going to die. So he has to try and get to them to prevent this, but he's just a fat cat. So he can't really cover distance. And then he gets almost all the way there, but this well-meaning biker picks him up and takes him back home. But eventually, he heroically jumps on top of a truck and then, like, (laughs) causes the truck to crash in the exact right spot so he can get off and save them. And it is truly wonderful. And they end up with the last member of their team, Tuna Sandwich, the precognitive cat. (laughs) And you know, because I've gone on about it so many times that the whole cats are always evil trope really bugs me. So Mm -hmm. here we have a hero cat and I am here for it 100%. Nice. I love it. (laughs) This episode had one of my, my, no, this is my favorite scene from the whole show so far. And it's just illustrating how slow tuna sandwiches and how far how great the distance is to the spaceship and the whole show is like really fast paced but then they show just one frame of background and the cat walks the length of the frame to illustrate how slow he is on the highway with like kind of music and it goes on for a long time, and I laughed so hard <laughs> for the whole scene. It was probably the best part of my day, the day that I watched that. I'm glad you liked it. Sometimes when I read the notes that you put together, I'm like, oh, we do not feel the same way about this show. Most so I times I like write this. the notes before I watch the show. So yeah. you can tell I had a lot of thoughts going into it because... Powerpuff Girls was not my jam. Mm -hmm. In fact, I kind of actively disliked it. So I went into this really expecting not to like it. Should we move on to our overall thoughts? Let's do it. Okay. Do we need another superhero show for kids? That's the thing. There are so many, right? And I was worried when I saw this concept because I was like, I don't know if I need this in my life. I think the way that it's treated though is really good like kid isn't a good superhero (laughs) at least not yet (laughs) and the whole um surprise of what the rings do and um how the characters have to 
kind of harness the powers and figure it out is like lots of fun elements of surprise. Mm -hmm. I was thinking too about the other kids superheroes that immediately come to mind. And I mean, it speaks to my life right now that we're watching a lot of preschool shows, but I was thinking about like PJ masks Mm -hmm. and then about the Powerpuff Girls and other similar shows. And I just had an inkling that maybe the serialized nature of it is a good like stepping stone from these younger kids centered shorter format superhero shows to like a longer story arc still about superheroes still kid appropriate so if you're a parent you don't immediately make the switch once your kid ages out of you know the Nick Jr. Disney Jr. superhero shows to Mm -hmm. like the Marvel Cinematic Universe which is a huge leap to make right mm-hmm. like can you think of anything else that sits in that middle ground well superhero elementary which remember my kids hate it yeah <laughs> <laughs> I did think about that but then I remembered that your kids hate it <laughs> yeah this is a nice middle in between so you pointed out that kid is a very androgynous character and this is maybe a missed opportunity and does he have to have a gender? Like, was it just me? Like, when you first saw Kid, did he immediately read Boy to you? No, because of maybe because of the long hair. Yeah, he's got long hair and like very ambiguous clothes. And even at that age, his voice is indeterminate. So I went through the first episode thinking maybe we're just never going to gender Kid. And I was down with it. And then they did. Yeah. So let's talk some more about the cast and characters. Listeners, if you watch this show, you will probably recognize Stuck Chuck's voice because he is voiced by Tom Kenny, who's been in every animated project since the dawn of time. And that's only a slight exaggeration. He has been in a bunch of other McCracken projects like Powerpuff Girls, Dexter's Laboratory, Foster's Home, wander over yonder he's been in shows we've covered already like word girl doc mcstuffins ducktales dc superhero girls hey that's another oh yeah good su- point yeah and elena of avatar elena of avalor and he's spongebob his uh film credits are exhausting I know. After talking to Shella about it and realizing how like enmeshed Craig McCracken and his wife are in the animation world, I can kind of see how these people all end up working together again and again. And these voice actors just amass these incredible bodies of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you did some research on some other characters, too. Do you want to talk about or actors too. Do you want to talk about them? Yeah, so I just looked very briefly at the profile of Amanda Celine Miller, who does the voice of Joe, the waitress. And she's also worked a lot, um, but she's just younger, so I think it's harder to hit those numbers. <laughs> so yeah. she was in Sailor Moon. She was in the new She-Ra, which we also reviewed, um, but it wasn't an episode that we covered. Uh, and then I recognize another name on the list. Do you recognize the name Gray Griffin? Yes, she's in a lot of stuff. Yeah, we have heard her voice. She was previously credited as Grey Delisle. We've heard her in a ton of things. So 
DC Superhero Girls again, Lost in Oz, if you remember from the days when Amazon was still making kids content. I think you just watched We Bear Bears. She did that. Apple and Onion, which we loved. Unikitty, mm-hmm. She-Ra again. So much stuff. Turns out once you get into the kids animation world, you just, you do everything. Seems like a good gig. <laughs> I mean, the sad thing that I thought when reading it is looking at all of these credits is the gigs must not pay all that well. Oh, maybe not. Because they have to do like a bazillion things. And then I started to feel bad for them. Thank you for bringing us joy. <laughs> <laughs> this is an Ace's voice cast. It was really great. Um, so we talked a little bit about the animation. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about the look and feel? Just that knowing in advance what it was going to look like, that was another thing that made me think I wasn't going to like it. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of like really slapdash feel that is intentional in the artwork mm-hmm. is not a favorite of mine. But at the same time, I am a fan of returning to the look of like a traditional hand-drawn animation as opposed to a transparently computer-generated animation. So even if I can recognize that it's not my personal aesthetic, I appreciate it. Yeah. And I'm totally there for the plot and characters, so I don't care. (laughs) I loved that. I love hand-drawn animation. And um, I also liked the desert landscape. And what I really liked was that the town that they live in is kind of junky. And like the grandpa, he's like, oh, he's one of those people that whose yard is covered in found objects. Um, and we just started watching Mayor of Easttown on HBO and that does that's like the opposite of a Nancy Myers movie <laughs> backdrop like they show the inside of people's houses that are like really junky and could be on hoarders and I liked the the world of Kid Cosmic is kind of realistic even though it's animated it's not uh-huh. like a beautiful space age town cityscape it's like a junky desert town Right. And it's not like a stereotypical suburban nowhere. Like the place has a real sense of place Mm -hmm. and it means Mm -hmm. something real to the characters, which I think, again, to have that kind of weight to an animated series is pretty rare. Yeah. Um, So what did you think about the music? The only thing that stood out to me is that it's like a very guitar <laughs> sort of uh, opening theme, uh, which it's like rock, driving rock heavy. And it, again, that's just not for me. So with the pilot, I was just immediately put off. What did you think of the music? Yeah, I wrote down really fun punk riffs. <laughs> Fast-paced, up-tempo bluegrass. (laughs) Um, I thought the music really added to, like, it's, like, I've said fast-paced a bunch of of times, but it's, like, almost a frenetic pace with the, like, zipping and zapping around, figuring out the rings and the superpowers, and they're here and they're there, and then they're over here, and the threat is coming from here, so 
I watched it with my kids and Tony who has ADHD was like five minutes. And he was like, I like this show. I like this show. I like this show a lot. Cause I think for him, it's like the right amount of stimulation, which is a lot of Uh stimulation. (laughs) That's what he wants to see. And I think that's so true. And the music was very appropriate to the setting. Again, everything was so consistent because Kid Cosmic wants his life to be a comic book. He wants everything to be moving fast. But at the same time, it is truly too fast for him. He Mm -hmm. is not up to speed. And so that driving sense of not being able to escape the tempo of things, I think was really appropriate. Mm -hmm. So thoughts on the length and structure? Do you like serialized cartoons? If you had to ask me in the abstract again, I would say, do we really need everything to be serialized? On principle, I don't believe that to be true. But again, that GD precognitive cat. Yeah. So I'm fine with it. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder a little bit if this maybe started out as a movie, like the original idea for it, because it could be a good movie. I read an article, and I believe it was in Vulture. If I can find it, I'll link to it on our Facebook page. So it was an interview with McCracken about the upcoming show. And he said that he had conceived it as a show, but a really long time ago when, like, the concept of serialized kids' content was just a Mm non-starter. And he felt like he just couldn't get it off the ground until we're living in a moment where... Literally everything is serialized. So, of course, Netflix was going to be like, take all the money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what movie or show for grownups does Kid Cosmic compare to? And I have to just, as an aside, I really have to stop myself from saying Cosmic Kids. (laughs) Yoga. (laughs) But it's Kid Cosmic. Kid Cosmic. (laughs) Both good properties, but good in different ways. (laughs) where one is frenetic the other is soothing (laughs) grown okay so we have no shortage of superhero content made for grown-ups right like in a sense it was too easy to pick something but my current favorite superhero story about a motley crew of superheroes who are not very good at being superheroes is doom patrol which has two seasons uh streaming on hbo max i believe just a really great collection of people who don't really want to be burdened by the powers with which they are burdened. What did you think? I'll have to watch it. Uh, I thought of Breaking Bad because of the iconic desert scenery. Yeah. I also weirdly thought of the movie Ingrid Goes West. I've never have I even takes, heard of that. It takes place in the desert. It's got that really droll actor from Parks and Rec, that young woman. Oh, Aubrey Plaza? Yes. I love that you just used the word droll. I'm not (laughs) sure that I have ever heard anyone use that in conversation, and I love it. Points to you. (laughs) Were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? It was hard, but I came up with, for the part of Kid, I would have Jesse Tyler Ferguson from Modern Family. I feel like they have a similar energy he is a very boyish sort of man in terms of the way he looks and am I remembering this wrong but did he come up 
through Broadway doing a part in that musical about an elementary school spelling bee? I think he definitely has a Broadway background. I don't know the particulars of it, though. I think he would be funny in a scene where he was figuring out what some magic superpower rings made him capable of. And then I just got lazy and I cast Sofia Vergara as Joe. It's funny that like you went with an entire show and you're like, how can I shape these actors to play these other characters in another show? Because I did the exact same thing. Oh, (laughs) so I was thinking about a depressing HBO show that I never watch because I don't like to be depressed, but I know that you watch. So I was thinking about why can't I even remember the name of the show? It's with Zendaya and she plays like a teen. Euphoria. Euphoria. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, how much more messed up would she be if she could also make portals with a magic ring? So then I thought, okay, Zendaya can be Joe, but then why don't we just like bring in the spider-man cast and we can have um why am i having such trouble with names today but the guy who is the new spider-man he's very i can't help you out but i i can't help you out but rosa is the name of a four-year-old oh yeah thank you gigantic toddler (laughs) okay so we can have um Peter Parker, I'm sorry, actor whose name I will remember five minutes after we stop recording. He can be Kid Cosmic and Zendaya can be Joe. And uh, he is not an old man, but the actor that plays the teacher, the high school teacher in the Spider-Man movies, he's a veteran of all the like party down freaks and geeks like that universe. Oh yeah. He has like a great hang dog face. So I think we could go ahead and make him Papa G. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he'd be good in that role. As far as who would play Rosa. I don't really know. I would watch it. Thanks. Was it better when we were kids? We did not have this middle ground serialized content. Did we? No, this reminded me aesthetically of the shows that I really liked when I was a kid. But I probably just liked them because that was what was on. Like Flintstones. Again, Hanna-Barbera, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I sort of imprinted on that style of animation. Mm -hmm. And so this felt um, comfortable, I guess. I can remember shows like that that I watched when I was very young. And then I remember like the shows I started watching when I was a tween. But I don't feel like anything really stuck with me from that in-between period. So Mm -hmm. I like that this exists now. Yeah. Would you ever watch this alone voluntarily? Since I haven't even gotten around to watching more Mighty Ducks Game Changers, which was more up my street to begin with, I probably wouldn't. I'm happy to put it on the shelf for a couple years until Jay is old enough to watch it with me. Because I think very shortly he'll be at a place where he will like watching it. He's just a little young yet. How about you? I'm not going to watch it by myself, but let's just move right along to 10 seconds on whether this is good for our kids. And this for me is like a great family show. My kids are the right age for it. I enjoyed it. They really liked it. So we'll watch it together and we'll do screen time the way the experts say we should. Yeah. It reminded me a little of when we were talking about the last airbender with Shella and she was saying like, it's something the whole family can enjoy. It's such a rich story. And I really think that can be the case with this, but again, not with my kids yet. They're just too young. And I feel like if I forced it on them now, they would end up not liking it, which would spoil it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Ratings. 
I think despite myself, I got to give it a four. I'm going to go four and a half. Yeah, really pleasantly, pleasantly surprised. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. And thank you again to Shella Fazy for talking with us about Craig McCracken and everything we need to know about the McCracken verse. Please check out our website at myscreentime2.com. You can find us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even Gmail at myscreentime2. Please send us any show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by Deborah and her adorable children, and our podcast is produced by me, Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye. Bye.